This is the Building Resilience Podcast, episode 109, all about compassion fatigue. Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast, where you will learn all about building resilience in yourself and helping others build it too. Drawing from the principles of positive psychology, neuroscience, and coaching, I will help you face all the challenges and adversities that life throws at you and help you do more than just survive. I will help you thrive. I am your host, Leah Davidson, and I am a certified life coach and speech language pathologist. I will help you manage your mind, your emotions, deal with your stress and your overwhelm, and lead a more purposeful and joyful life. Let's get started. Hello, my friends. I hope that everyone is doing well wherever you are located in this world. It's always exciting to look at some of the stats and see where people were located. So welcome to everybody. If this is your first time on the Building Resilience Podcast, I hope that you are here to stay. And if you are a dedicated follower and listener, then I'm excited to have you back. We are going to have such a good time this year. I have so many episodes that I have been working on and I can't wait to share with you. So a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you a little bit about my journey with compassion fatigue and burnout. And I also introduced you to some terms that are often used in the sphere of what I've been calling helping professionals and caregivers. And over the next couple of months, we're going to dive a lot deeper into all those terms that I introduced. And before getting started today, I thought I'd share a little bit more detail about what I mean by the term helping professional. And basically, I just mean professionals who have dedicated their lives to serving others. And we often think of people in healthcare, so physicians and nurses and therapists. And when I say therapists, I am referring to all kinds, anyone who is in the practice of serving. So social workers, counselors, psychologists, speech pathologists like myself, occupational therapists, physiotherapists, or physical therapists. I think it's different in Canada and the U.S., what we call them. Child welfare workers, child youth workers, crisis workers. And then we have first responders and paramedics, EMTs, firefighters, police officers, and law enforcement. But there are also people who sort of fall outside the scope of the medical but are also helping professionals like lawyers and correctional facility officers and funeral directors and clergy. And then we can take it a step further. We have daycare providers, teachers, and I'm going to throw life coaching into the mix now because they are a newer helping professional and not all, but some, depending on who they serve, may be focused a little bit more in areas where they may be subjected to something like compassion fatigue. So I think if you're a life coach, and this is important to learn about as well. So lots of people are falling under this realm of helping professionals. Now, obviously, my expertise lies more in the rehab world. So a lot of PT, OT, SLP, and as well in the coaching world. And then there are caregivers. And this is a range from professional caregivers to personal, those medically involved and those non-medically involved, ones who are paid to care, ones that are unpaid, maybe they're caregivers to family members. So there's really a broad scope here. And I do think that we would all do well to learn because many of us are or will be at some point caring for loved ones, and that can be actually really overwhelming. Now, while those who are in helping professions have chosen to serve. They've chosen to be a source of light for people. There are some negative consequences that fall on them in their act of service. 
Viktor Frankl eloquently said, that which is to give light must endure burning. So some of the burning may include consequences professionally, personally, mental and physical health-wise, even financially and spiritually. Now, it differs a bit depending on what profession you're in, and that's why I'm dedicating three separate episodes to go a little deeper into some of the different terms that I introduced a couple of weeks ago, compassion fatigue, secondary traumatic stress, and burnout, because not all helping professionals experience all three, and not all professionals in other areas will experience all three. And the same really goes for caregivers. You won't necessarily be hit by all three, probably one or a combination of a couple. But really, these three things are the main challenges that do face helping professionals and caregivers. And today, I want to talk specifically about compassion fatigue. And I want to talk about this first, because as I mentioned a couple episodes ago, it's something that I experienced in my role as a speech therapist working in a hospital and then in private practice. And it's kind of something that can sneak up on you. When I say compassion fatigue, what comes to mind? Now, I know I thought of running out of compassion, like getting tired of caring. And you are partly correct if that's what came to your mind too. It was originally defined in 1995 by psychologist Charles Figley, who is really one of the pioneers and the forces in the field of trauma research and treatment of compassion fatigue and secondary traumatic stress. Now, I am lucky enough that my teacher and mentor, Dr. Eric Gentry, worked closely with Dr. Figley in the early years developing programs for compassion fatigue. So Dr. Figley defined compassion fatigue as the combined effects of secondary traumatic stress and burnout. And Dr. Gentry shared that from a psychodynamic standpoint, compassion fatigue is a combination of psychological, physiological, moral, and spiritual damage caused by prolonged exposure to a toxic environment of caregiving. And biologically, it's the neurological condition in which our stress response, so your threat response, becomes chronically overactivated, which then causes damage to our body and brains and causes us to perceive danger where none actually exist. Now, Françoise Mathieu, who is a Canadian psychotherapist and researcher, she stated that compassion fatigue is a gradual erosion of all the things that keep us connected to others in our caregiver roles. So our empathy, our hope, and even our compassion for ourselves and for others. In recent years, Mathieu and others have actually called for a change from using the term compassion fatigue to empathic strain. She offers that for years we have used compassion and empathy interchangeably, but they're really not. They are different and they activate different areas of the brain. Empathy means to feel with, and in our helping work, it often means that we're feeling with the pain of another, so the suffering of another. And brain imaging actually shows that the same neural network lights up in the brain as when we're experiencing pain or witnessing the pain of another. So we are actually wired to feel the pain of others. But eventually you can see what can happen is being constantly activated. We can start feeling distress and cause us strain. And then we end up being quite depleted. Whereas compassion can actually be an energizing emotion. 
It's the ability to recognize the suffering of another without taking on that suffering as our own. So that's a big difference between empathy and compassion. So you can see where we may have more empathy fatigue as opposed to compassion fatigue. So maybe down the road, we'll see terms change. But for now, we're going to stick with compassion fatigue because that's really where all the literature is at. Now, burnout is pretty much a catch-all phrase that we're all familiar with, and it's appropriate for many professions, but it does not necessarily cover it all for helping professionals. Compassion fatigue occurs mainly with professional caregivers. Now, the combo of secondary trauma and burnout, both terms that I'm going to dedicate upcoming episodes to, that is the compassion fatigue. It's the combination of secondary trauma and burnout. And it occurs not due to a flaw or weakness of any professional or caregiver. In fact, it actually is a very natural and inevitable consequence of caring for others. So it's therefore been referred to as the cost of caring. And it's actually been labeled as an occupational hazard. And every helper who cares about their client or patient will eventually develop a certain amount of it in varying degrees of severity which is why we need to talk and learn more about it. Now, there is an amazing quote by Naomi Rachel Raymond that says, the expectation that we can be immersed in suffering and loss daily and not be touched by it is as unrealistic as expecting to be able to walk through water without getting wet. This sort of denial is no small matter. The way we deal with loss shapes our capacity to be present to life more than anything else. The way we protect ourselves from loss may be the way in which we distance ourselves from life. We burn out not because we don't care, but because we don't grieve. We burn out because we've allowed our hearts to become so filled with loss that we have no room left to care. Now, one contributing factor is while what helping professionals do is serve, and often very heroically, as we saw in the pandemic, unfortunately, in addition to giving their all, they are often not thanked. They often get little to no appreciation. They're often overworked, underpaid, working with limited resources, strained systems, difficult and restrictive policies, never mind risk of being sued or criticized for their work. So while we think it must be a very satisfying job, at times it can be, but at times these workers, paid or volunteer, feel very demoralized. They continue to try to give their best and become very vulnerable to compassion fatigue. Now let's talk about what some of the signs are of compassion fatigue. So overall, you can start seeing changes in both your personal and professional life. It may start with feeling increasingly bitter or disempowered at work. You may actually start contributing to a toxic work environment. You may start making more mistakes. You may start violating client boundaries. You may start changing how you treat people, all the people actually in your life. Now, typical symptoms can be divided into different areas, and they can include physical, psychological, emotional, professional, and even spiritual exhaustion. So I'm going to quickly run through all those. And don't forget, I am generalizing. There is such a wide variety of disciplines that fall under the helping field label and a wide variety of people in each. So everybody is individual. 
Now, physical symptoms include feeling so exhausted and physically depleted that it's hard to go through your day. You may have trouble sleeping or feel restless, and even your enjoyment of intimacy will diminish. Now, psychological and emotional symptoms can include feeling anxious and cynical and pessimistic about moving into your day. You just don't want to. You may feel that your self-confidence and self-esteem are off and you have difficulty making decisions. You may shut down emotionally. You may turn to coping strategies like overeating, overdrinking, overshopping, over anything to help ease that anxiety. And you may find yourself on edge, exploding at people, negatively impacting loving relationships. Or you may find that you just want to isolate yourself completely. Now, professional symptoms include decreasing your quality of work. You may have a harder time focusing. You may become irritable and short-tempered with the people with whom you work. You may not be able to leave work at work, and you may find yourself obsessing about things in the after hours. And lastly, spiritual symptoms. You may find yourself losing faith in many of the traditions and values that were once important to you. So many of these symptoms can just sneak up on you and start draining you and depleting your resources. Or you can be thrown into more of a crisis where you feel demoralized and discouraged and really start losing hope. Now, part of the equation contributing to compassion fatigue are the factors that we often see in professional caregiving environments. And while compassion fatigue is not the inevitable consequence of working in a toxic environment, there are things in the environment that we do want to acknowledge that certainly play a role. Now, firstly, almost always does performance demands exceed human capabilities. People are not perfect. They will make mistakes. They cannot guarantee outcomes. They can extend their best efforts and still fall short. But they are often expected to give a certain standard of care that is really quite impossible for anybody to achieve. Think of the demands that were on our healthcare workers during the pandemic. These demands surely exceeded human capabilities, but these healthcare workers were expected to meet the demands. Now, secondly, in these kind of workplaces, there are often insufficient resources to meet patient needs. There are limited resources in most professional caregiving environments. There's just not enough time to give patients what they need. There's mounting pressure to cut costs and to do more with less. And record keeping can be particularly cumbersome too, but again, it is demanded. Now, thirdly, in these environments, there is ongoing exposure to different traumatic events, situations, and overall traumatized people. There may even be threats to personal safety. And we'll talk a lot more about this in future episodes about secondary traumatic stress. But it's important to note that these environments are difficult to work in. And while we may not be able to change these environments, it doesn't mean we should stop advocating for a change but it does mean that we have to focus on what we can control. As Dr. Gentry says, we have to develop the necessary antibodies of resilience needed to protect us from being infected by these toxic environments. So while you may recognize some of the symptoms that I already mentioned, often people question whether they are actually experiencing compassion fatigue. And I wanted to mention that there is a 30-item screening test developed by Beth Hudnall-Stam called the Professional Quality of Life Self-Score Measure, or the ProQual for short. You can find it online. It's free and available to download. And it takes into account your levels of compassion, satisfaction, 
secondary traumatic stress, and burnout. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes if you're interested in doing that measure. But it's safe to say that if you are a helping professional or a caregiver, you are at risk for compassion fatigue. So it's prudent that you do whatever you can do to resolve it and protect yourself from it. So I'm going to share with you a few general things that you can do to get started. Really, my hope is that over the next year, I will be diving a lot deeper into teaching you different tools and strategies that you can use to help prevent and overcome compassion fatigue, stress, burnout, and all those things. But I'm going to share with you today a very simplified overview that explains some basics that can be helpful to treat and prevent compassion fatigue. And it's basically using the acronym ABC. So how easy is that? Now, A stands for awareness. Do you recognize the symptoms? Can you find the ones that are alerting you that something is up and maybe you're right on the edge? Do you recognize what's going on in your body, in your thinking? how you feel, how you act, how you engage with others. So you basically need to learn how to read yourself and building that awareness. And that is why education is so important. Now, the B stands for balance. And it almost sounds cliche, but you have to have a good balance in your life. Do you practice self-care? Do you have enough downtime? Do you take regular breaks? Do you have passion that you will nourish outside of work? Do you keep work at work? Do you have ways to refuel, things that bring you joy? It's important that you're able to balance your life with different things. Now, I'm not saying balance in terms of everything has to have the exact amount of time assigned to it. More that you have more than your work that is a priority to you. And lastly, the C is for connection. Who do you have to share your burdens with? Maybe it's a friend or a coworker or a clergy, or maybe you're paying a coach or therapist. What matters most is you have somebody. Even having a pet can be helpful for connection. So ABC. Awareness, balance, and connection are key components to help you deal with compassion fatigue. Now, when I work with people, we focus on all these three things, and we do that under the umbrella of that resilience symphony that I talked about last week. Compassion fatigue can be conquered using the five R's of resilience, regulation, reframing, release, reconnection, and realignment. So if you want some help with those, then make sure to reach out. That is compassion fatigue in a nutshell. It's what happens to many helping professionals. It's a mix of secondary traumatic stress, burnout, and running out of empathy. In the next few weeks and the next year, as I've shared, I will go deeper on all these terms. I want to help you create more resilience, more joy in your life, to feel more fulfilled, more at peace, because it should not cost you your health in order to care for others. Have a great week, everyone, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Building Resilience Podcast. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about managing stress, building resilience, and leading a more purposeful life, then make sure we're connected on Instagram and Facebook at Leah Davidson Life Coaching. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter at www.leahdavidsonlifecoaching.com forward slash newsletter. Looking forward to connecting.